In the name of Jesus. Jesus is leaking glory, leaking the most marvelous, stupendous, brightest glory. Why does he do this? Prior to our chapter here in Matthew 17 and chapter 16, Jesus has been preparing his disciples for what is to come. He first of all tells them that the Christ, their rabbi, their master, their beloved Lord, would suffer. Would suffer and would die. That he would be taken from them, that they would be left seemingly alone. He goes on to tell them that their life is is tied, closely connected with his He tells them that they will experience suffering. They will experience difficulty. But then he promises them that he will come to be with them. That he will come from afar as the Magi did to to worship him in the manger. That that he will come with, with power and glory. And that they too, his disciples, believers in him, will be raised, resurrected in glory. These are his words for them and for you. Because you too are closely acquainted with suffering, with difficulty, with challenges, with things that go bump in the night. And so where do you look for the glory that you need? Where do you turn? It's Super Bowl Sunday, right? In the words of Vince Lombardi, the real glory is being knocked to your knees and then coming back. That's real glory. That's the essence of it. And that's probably fine for a football game or for other things. But is that the essence of glory? Do you look inward to yourself to find your best self, to find some sort of inner strength? And and if by chance you can manifest that, you can do it on your own, you can put on your boots and you can walk a mile in somebody else's shoes, then, then you'll find the glory. You'll find what you need to sustain your very body and life. That's how we sinners think, though. The sinful man in you wants to do it all on your own and believes that he can. Believes that he has that that power. So when you're knocked down, find that power. Get back up. You can rescue yourself. But the words of God, the prophetic word to which we are supposed to pay attention, the prophetic word, which is a lamp shining in a dark place, the prophetic word defines glory quite differently, for it does not come for within you or me. It cannot come from within sinful man. It must come from elsewhere. 
In our Old Testament reading, we have Exodus 34. We have the glory of God descending upon Mount Sinai. And we have that pee-your-pants moment that we've talked about before where where God's holy people who have been rescued from, from slavery are rightly scared. You go, Moses. You represent us because there's no way we're going to go up that crazy, awful, glorious mountain. And so Moses stands. Moses stands as an intermediary, stands there on behalf of the people, and in standing before God, he is affected by the glory of God. So much so that his face physically begins to shine. But even that glory is fleeting. For we learn that that glory on Moses' face would fade away and and so that people wouldn't concentrate just on Moses as a person. He would put a veil over his face. Because sinful man in and of himself, in and of herself, cannot contain the glory of God. It comes from somewhere else. Isaiah 40, verses 4 to 5, Every valley shall be lifted up, every mountain and hill be made low, and and uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. It sounds pretty good, doesn't it? The valleys in your life, the depression you might deal with, the difficult times at work, the family squabbles, they shall be lifted up made level, the uneven rocky ground of sin that you commit and sin that's done to you, the things you don't want to do that that you do, and you can't help yourself sometimes. All of these rough places will be made a beautiful, glorious plain of new growth, of wheat, of the finest of wines. Isaiah continues with his prophecy, And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Pay attention to that little word, glory. In the Old Testament in Hebrew, it's kabod. In the New Testament in Greek, it's it's doxa where we get the doxology from. Pay attention to that word glory throughout our divine service and see how often that little word glory is referenced and where and when it is referenced. And also note that that glory does not come from you. For every time we speak and sing of this glory, we are locating its presence. We are locating its essence only in the divine, now manifested in the Son of God, both human and divine, Emmanuel, God with us. And so Jesus stands there on the mountain to prepare the disciples, to prepare you for what's to come. This is now the last of our festival epiphany services, if you will. From here on out, we'll have a few Sundays, the Gesema Sundays, kind of a countdown towards Easter. And our liturgy, little by little, will slowly become a little more somber, a little more meditative. And then the season of Lent, 
where we focus especially on the need for our Savior, where we hear even on Wednesdays the the story of the passion, of what the Christ had to endure, of how He had to leak His glory in all these ways to rescue you and me. And so our Gospel text begins this way. It's the only reference to the passing of time in Matthew's Gospel. He starts it like this, after six days. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, the sons of thunder, and led them up a high mountain. A high mountain. After six days, the world created in six, God resting in the seventh. And the creation that God made and even the people that He made, Adam and Eve, were perfect. But that had all changed. Sin Denial, transgression of God's holy, simple, singular word. And so, after six days, after sin has come and messed with you and me and our lives, here comes Jesus, leaking glory, yet again on a high mountain. And He was transfigured before them, and His face shone like the sun, and His clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah, the law and the prophets that Jesus also says testify to him. Moses and Elijah, who by the way are included in the all flesh promise that shall see it together. Moses and Elijah, whom God the Father above took special care even of their bodies, their flesh. Elijah, we know, who was called heavenward, in the midst of a flaming chariot and horses. Moses, whom God Himself buried, no one knew where. God Himself, who sent the archangel Michael from the New Testament book of Jude to go wrestle with the devil over Moses' actual body. The same God who cared for Moses and Elijah cares for you in your body cares about the uneven ground of your life, your sin, and and not just cares about it, but does something about it for you. Jesus leaks glory for you. Peter doesn't understand that. He wants this glory here and now. He wants to, as a human, contain this glory. He wants to tap into that power. So let us make three tents, three shelters. Let's let's live here, Jesus. This is good. But Peter cannot live there in the glory of God completely. Not yet. No more than Moses could keep the glory of God upon his face. A voice speaks from heaven. This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to Him. God speaks yet again, as He did at the baptism of His Son. The baptism whereby Jesus, as a sponge, soaked up all the uneven places, all the rocky ground, all the mountains and hills of your life, all of the depression-type valleys, soaked it all up into Himself that He could leak out His glory upon the cross to cover you 
Jesus later says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man, no man can come to the Father except through me. There is only one way to find and receive the true glory, the divine glory of God in your life, to find the sustenance and strength that you need to live your best life now. And it's through the glory of Christ. Jesus speaks to the disciples that are gathered there, Peter and James and John. Our ESV text says, Rise and have no fear, but literally in Greek, Jesus commands. Stop, he says. Stop being afraid. Because that's where we get stuck, isn't it? We become so afraid. Because the glory of this life and the glory of our, of our own making is, is just so fleeting. Oh, we set our goals and perhaps we achieve some of them, but then we find that that money, that position, that possession does not really give us what we need. Where do we turn? We come here to this place. We gather together as the body of Christ because the glory of God yet descends here and now for you and me. Jesus is leaking glory. Leaking glory from His cross in His divine nephesh, His holy blood, and not His blood only. He's leaking glory in water and blood which flows from His riven side. That in the water of your baptism, you may be more than veiled. You may be covered. Covered. Soaked with the righteousness of Christ. That in the Lord's Supper, His glory may come within you as well as medicine of immortality to to strengthen and preserve you, body and soul, until life everlasting. So like the disciples, we are now prepared. Prepared for the uneven ground. Prepared for the rough places. This is how much your Lord loves you, that He knows your need and well provides you. And like the disciples, we await the true glory to come. The resurrection that awaits. But until then, as Christ did with His beloved disciples, the first pastors of the church, He comes and He gives you a glimpse of this glory this day. In His holy word, His prophetic scripture, His blessed sacraments, that you may see and that you may live. Jesus leaks His glory still today for you. In the name of Jesus.